is Genesis 24, 1-14. Reading in Jesus' name. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success today and show me and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who will say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Please bow for a word of prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, as you directed Abraham's servant, you direct us today. Lord, you know the past, present, and future. Now guide us to do your will. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to make a very bold statement this morning. Besides trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the choice of whom you marry is the most important decision that you can make in your life. From this crucial decision, most of your joy and frustration will derive. As one who could have followed the pattern of broken relationships from my parents, I can attest to this uh, truth because by God's grace, 
I was given a beautiful wife in Mary. And so as we think about this passage here today, we recognize that a good marriage is not something that we just fall into on some enchanted evening. It takes care, thought, and attention from both the one wanting to get married as well as those who are in a position of authority over them. Abraham knew this in regard to his son Isaac. And in his old age, he had one more task that he wanted to accomplish before he died. He needed to find a wife for the one who was going to be carrying on the covenant that he had made with Jehovah God. And I'm going to take you through six steps that Abraham took in this process, and we're going to consider how we might implement them in our lives, in our families, or perhaps someone that we are mentoring today. Six steps. First step, trust a servant. We see this in verse 2. Ideally, the one that is involved in this process in helping a child select a mate is going to be the parents. But sometimes this is not possible. This was my situation. My dad left when I was four years old, and my mom took a real hands-off approach to my dating experience, mainly because she was on her third marriage, and she didn't feel like she had anything to give as far as good advice because she felt like she had made a mess of her own life. But I began to pray, knowing that my natural inclinations would lead me into marriages similar to my own parents, because that's what we default to. We default to the patterns that are set before us. And so I began to pray for a mentor, for someone who would show me what healthy relationships looked like. And God provided me with a spiritual father named Pete Lundeen. That's who I named my first son Peter after. And Pete poured countless hours into counseling me about what it meant to be a godly man who would care for his family. He and his wife invited me to live with them, and I observed firsthand what a good marriage looked like. And not only that, he spoke to me about the importance of different aspects of life in preparation for marriage. Abraham was at a bit of a disadvantage here regarding his desire to find a wife for Isaac. First of all, prior to this story, his wife Sarah had just died. That was his main confidant. That was the one that he had this relationship and that they parented together, Isaac. Secondly, he wasn't a spring chicken any longer. According to Genesis 21, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And so he couldn't get around like he used to, and Abraham needed help. And so he chose his servant, Eleazar. By the way, this is the same man who was supposed to inherit Abraham's belongings. All that he had, his flocks and herds, until Isaac came along. And so notice here that he didn't hold a grudge against Isaac. He's the one who took my inheritance that I was going to have. But he continues to serve his master in any way possible. And I think we can learn a lesson from this because many times mentoring those who are not our children can somewhat feel unrewarding. Pete and Sandy did not have any children. They uh, could not have children. And so instead of being mad at God, they looked at those around that needed spiritual fathers and mothers and brought them in and cared for them. 
And it's so crucial that there are men and women who are willing to give themselves in this way, especially when we look at the world around us and the brokenness of families everywhere. Many young men and women will be hard-pressed to try to find a godly example of who to marry, how the process should go. They're not going to find it in the media, in movies, and pop culture. The second step we see here in regard to Abraham's plan was in regard to marrying a believer. We see this in verses 3 through 4. One of the main prerequisites that Abraham gave to his servant regarding the woman that Isaac was to marry was that she was to be from his own people, not from the culture of the Canaanites around them. This advice is ignored many times with the following rationale. First, someone will say, well, I have fallen in love with that person, and that love is going to carry us through. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not a murderer of love, but that fire of romance that you feel at the beginning of your dating relationship, a couple of years into your marriage, that's going to start to die down. The fire will still be there, but that's not what's going to carry you through when the hard times come. That's not what's going to carry you through when tragedy strikes, because life begins to throw many challenges our way. And if you do not have the backing and the mutual trust in God as a common goal in life, it will be very difficult to come to an agreement about how certain circumstances should be faced. Paul the Apostle says it this way in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? The picture here is of a yoke of oxen going out in a field to work together. And these two animals need to have the same goal in mind in order to accomplish the work that the farmer has set before them, which is this straight row that you're going to be plowing. Imagine one of the oxen are pulling against the other one in a different direction. How messed up do you think that field is going to look, even if any work gets accomplished? And so Paul also speaks to those who have lost a spouse when he says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. That's the qualification. Marry who you want, but only in the Lord. Make sure that they are in the Lord together with you. That's one from uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 39. Another way in which someone may rationalize marrying an unbeliever is that they think that somehow they are going to win the unbeliever to the Lord through their example by marrying them. One of the examples that I use with my young men uh, that I mentor is I say, let's put a chair up here, okay? And one of you stand on the chair and the other one, try to lift the person that's on the ground up to your level. And even if it's a strong person that's lifting a fairly light person, it's pretty difficult to do. Then I say to the one on the ground, pull that person off of the chair. Very easy. The point is, it's much easier to pull someone down than it is to pull somebody up to your level. 
The Bible says it this way, bad company corrupts good morals. Life is hard enough as it is in the world that we live in, but to be married to an unbeliever who is continually trying to pull your faith down, oh honey, why do you gotta go to church today? You know, again, every week, is this gonna happen all the time now? What, you're giving money to them now? (laughs) Aren't they all corrupt anyways? The next step we see here from Abraham is that someone, he's to, uh, the servant is to get a wife for Isaac who's willing to follow. We see this in verses five through six. Eleazar brings up a good point in the next section. He says, what if she doesn't want to leave her home and family in order to marry Isaac? Should Isaac be brought to her? And Abraham is very emphatic about this issue. Isaac must not be brought to the land that Abraham came from because the Lord had a particular vision for Abraham, and he wants that vision to be carried on by Isaac. Abraham brought him to that land, and Isaac is to stay there and fulfill the family role, the family mission. And so, as we encourage our sons and daughters regarding marriage, I think this is one of the most important issues to discuss with them. Is the woman willing to follow her husband? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Because many marriages, even Christian marriages, go through unnecessary difficulty because of the improper understanding of this. It's not modeled in their family. It's not modeled in the culture around us. But to get the proper perspective, we must go back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. When Adam was naming the animals, there was not one found to be a helpmeet for him. But notice that God, when he created Eve as a helpmeet, did not bring Adam to Eve. He brought Eve to Adam, recognizing the roles that were in place there. And by the way, I'm not talking about equality. I'm not talking about worth. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about roles and relationships within a marriage covenant. In the case of Isaac, God has given his father Abraham this vision that was to be passed down. And this woman was going to come and be a helpmeet to him to carry out that vision together. And so Rebecca was there, willing to come. Isaac was not to go and adopt her family vision. And so when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 5.22, just to restate, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. For those of you who have daughters that are still at home, you are going to do them a great disservice if you do not prepare them for this biblical reality. Because if they think that they're going to go out and become an independent woman, even within the marriage relationship, and that it's just two people that are going separate directions, unequally yoked, they're not going to find the kind of man in the Bible that it talks about, that is a good leader, that serves his wife in the Lord in love. It's going to be a constant battle and friction in the marriage relationship. Next we see here that Abraham expects divine intervention, verses uh, 7 and 12. One thing you will find as you begin to take this journey with your children is that you're going to be at a complete loss as to what the next step is many times. 
Your child may fall for someone, and you know it's going to be a complete disaster. You may find that no one is interested in your child at the time when they're very most interested in finding a mate. And so they may begin to downgrade, right? Well, I can't find the kind of husband or wife that I want, and so I'll lower my expectations. And so you may even come to a point where there's no one on the horizon for them, and they're walking in singleness, and you'll have to counsel them in the midst of that. We can take encouragement from the faith of Abraham in these two verses. He has experienced the voice of the Lord in his own life, and he has come to expect intervention. He asked the Lord for wisdom and received it. He cried out for the Lord's mercy in regard to the sacrifice of his son Isaac, and he received mercy. We can take comfort from the fact that our loving Heavenly Father is concerned about every aspect of our lives, especially something as important as the life of your child. Begin to pray even now for the person that they are going to marry. Pray that they have a strong relationship with the Lord. Pray that they are connected to a solid church. Pray that the Lord is giving them vision for their life. Pray that the Lord is dealing with sin issues that are going to be problems later on. Pray for their parents. Pray that God will begin to shape and mold them into the kind of person that your child needs. For many of us, we will find that this kind of interaction with our children is going to be impossible. Either we did not raise them up with this expectation that they should look for guidance from their parents in these kinds of areas, or they are in rebellion against the Lord, and they don't want to hear what you have to say. They're just going to make their own decisions and go out there and suffer the consequences. But one thing that you can do is pray. Your child cannot stop you from praying for them. But you might feel, well, it's too late. Your child might be married, or worse, divorced even. But I have seen many desperate situations turned around for the good. So don't stop fighting and praying in this area. The next thing we see here in Abraham's steps is indicating provision in verse 10. One of the lessons my mentor taught me as I considered uh, my desire to be married was this. Scott, you can't care for a wife until you can care for yourself. You can't lead a family unless you know where you're going. And so many times for young men who begin to date, they don't know where they're going. <laughs> they can barely provide for themselves. They're living check to check, month to month, and now they're going to take on another person. One of the dumbest and smartest things I did when I was living with Pete was I told him that I would not begin to date a girl until he gave me his blessing. And so, <laughs> it didn't happen right away. Three years, we were walking through this process. And he was teaching me what it meant to be a man of God. He was teaching me about the preciousness of this woman who was going to be an amazing gift for me, was going to help me in my life and my mission, was going to be there with me having children together. And so I needed to become a more mature Christian. By the way, to get the right kind of person, you have to become the right kind of person. You can only attract a certain level of an individual 
above where you are. It's not very far, by the way, right? You know, if you're a ding-dong, you're not going to attract the most awesome Christian woman in the world, right? Like attracts like. And so, after these three years, I was in a stable job, had a career going, I was a pillar in our community, in our church, uh, I owned my own home, all these different things that Pete was preparing me. And then when I asked Mary out, you know, I was in a situation where I could care for her. In fact, we only dated for three months and then we were engaged and we were married four months, or married four months later, so seven months. When Abraham had his servant give all of these gifts to Rebekah and her family, he was in essence saying, this woman is going to be provided for. We're not just leading her off into obscurity and poverty in this foreign land. And our sons must learn that if it comes down to it, the provision of the family rests upon their shoulders. We see this biblically in 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so this is especially going to take place if you have children. The next thing we see here in regard to Abraham is that he's looking for character. We see this in verses 12 through 14. Finally, we see that Eleazar is successful in finding a wife for Isaac. But I want you to notice the test that he places before the Lord. He's looking for character. He doesn't say something like this, let the next woman who has a red robe on, you know, coming to the well, be the one for Isaac. No, he's looking for someone who is willing to go the extra mile. Not only does she give him a drink, but she also waters his camels. I looked it up. Camels can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes, and Eleazar had 10 of them. <laughs> so, and I'm so thankful for all the family times that we have that are fun in our lives. Playing games, going on vacation, watching movies. But you know, the majority of our lives is work. We work. And you want somebody standing by your side that is going to pull their weight. Someone that has character, that sees a job that needs to be done and gets it done. If we base our decisions regarding our potential mate on good looks, and the ability to have fun, and by the way, this is mostly what young people are looking for when they're dating, instead of character, we will find that life is going to get very long very quickly. All that beauty and fun is going to wear thin in a very short period of time. In conclusion today, for all of you young people in the congregation, I would like to challenge you with this question. Who do you think knows you better than anyone in the world. It's not a classmate. It's somebody who's been with you night and day from the very beginning, cleaning up your vomit in the middle of the night when you were sick, doing your countless loads of dirty laundry, taxiing you around to all your activities for the last 16, 17 years. A wise person takes counsel from the people that know them the best. And even if your parents are unbelievers, they still don't want you to end up in a bad marriage and have some limited understanding and knowledge and insight about who you are. 
Look at the example of Abraham and his love for his son Isaac. And for those of you who think you're too old for this kind of interaction with your parents, I want you to notice here that Isaac was 40 years old when this was going on. 40. I'll make the statement again. Besides trusting in Christ your Lord as Savior, the choice of whom you marry is the most important decision you will make in your life. From this crucial decision, most of your joy and frustration will be derived. With something this important, isn't it worth looking at the example of one of the most godly men in the Bible? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I do pray for the relationships here today, and I know that this message will hit people as old-fashioned, outdated, dumb, whatever, but Lord, I do pray that some who have wisdom here today will take this and will incorporate it into their decision, looking for counsel. And Lord, I pray for parents and mentors that are here today. Lord, give them wisdom and understanding and how to relate to those they've given, been given charge over. And Lord, above all, we pray that uh, people would be marrying believers so that they can work together in this amazing life that you've given us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.